Why, hello there, and welcome to Riff, Off the Cuff Conversations. I am Blythe. And I am Paige. So for Halloween, we kind of stumbled into watching a number of cult classic movies. Kind of, well, my brand of spooky, which is not very scary at all. Really not scary. Just kind of quirky and weird. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about cult classic movies. I think the, you know, the kingpin cult classic movie is probably Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I love. I think it's wonderful. Every time I revisit it, I'm like, this is great. This is kind of controversial, but I don't think it's something you can remake. No. I know a lot of, there have been a lot of productions of Rocky Horror. I know there have even been TV uh, remakes of it in the past few years but I don't think it's something you can it's just like it was what it was in the time and you can't you can't reenact that mm-hmm. what it was it's such a time capsule mm-hmm. like I don't know it's just like the cast it's just one of those like serendipitous things that it's like the cast was perfect the moment was perfect. You can't you can't recreate it. It just is something that is unique and is itself. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think I mean there there are films that obviously from earlier decades that don't age well and that are insensitive in many ways. now considered insensitive or politically incorrect but there's something I think specifically about Rocky Horror that it was so groundbreaking for its time in its representation of gender expression and I think unlike some other films that it's like you know, we're trying to be progressive, and then now we're like, oi, 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 like, yeah, not, not so progressive at all, and actually offensive. I think there, I mean, you could argue that there are things that are, there are elements that are like that in this film, but I also think that having been so surprising and to some people appalling at the time to see a man cross-dressing as a woman, not just as a gag, or like just a, you know, a momentary gag like it was before. We were talking to our, our mom about this, actually, uh, that it was just such a huge deal to see this for the first time. And, and, and you know, Rocky Horror was not a mainstream film, but in a film that got enough press that people, you know, a a fairly good number of people were seeing it, 
it was just such a big deal. And I think that's part of why it's so special, too, is that Mm -hmm. it was groundbreaking to have this diversity of gender expression throughout all of the characters, not even just Dr. Frankenfurter, but you Mm -hmm. think about magenta and you think about um and also sexuality yeah and sexuality uh it's just very interesting and playful in a way that was so new for the time Mm -hmm. and i think that's part of my part of my argument as to why you can't recreate it because we do have a different level of we have different ways of and and it's more often that there's a diversity in gender expression there is uh, a fairly sexual overtone in a lot of things right now mm-hmm. um, so it, I feel like if it were made today it would kind of get underplayed or it, like it wouldn't have the impact that it did at that time and that yeah. still resonates today i completely agree and i think i want to stress again that like the frankenfurter's identity there's there are many jokes in that film like it's a funny film but there's not one joke about his identity at all yeah specifically made about his identity now no and it's it's interesting because another film that we watched recently was labyrinth and you this is i will get into a different thing with this later but you think about the character of jareth and he is kind of an effeminate Mm -hmm. man in a lot of ways um it's not the same and it's not as frankenfurter it's not like that blatant but there's still a very pretty, um, you know, he's all of his clothing is very tight, like very glittery, glittery. And... He has long hair, like, and actually, I was as we were watching it, it kind of occurred to me. I was like, he is the most anime or manga looking character in any American film, any American anything I've ever seen. Yeah, and so I. I, I don't really know, I mean, I know some background about the film, but I I don't know if they took any inspiration from Japanese animation or Japanese cartooning for his character, but that kind of, that struck me this time and had never occurred to me until this viewing of it. Yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, I feel like um, a lot of cult classic films that aren't horror films really um, subvert gender and sexuality, I feel like. At least a good number of them. I would agree with that. I think that is true. I mean, going back to Rocky Horror, too, like, I, I, I think what's, what, too, is so brilliant about the whole plot and the interaction of the characters is that we have Brad and Janet who are these virginal, innocent, puritanical, little, you know, 
podunk Americans mm-hmm. who happen upon this world where, to them, every expectation is turned upside down. Yeah. And it was almost like a... I mean, I, obviously, I didn't live through the 70s, so I can't, you know, validate this, but... And this is another argument for why it can't, it can't be remade, is that this was at a crux in time where old ideas, puritanical, colonialist ideas were starting to be really questioned, which we're seeing especially now, but that was that was the time, the 60s, the 70s, it was a time where things were really starting to be, these norms were starting to be doubted, mm-hmm. and to put that in this film, to just like, create these characters that represent the old way of thinking and and this new idea, new cultural experience and cultural shift, shift, I think was so, so brilliant. And and that it's this film that's kind of topsy-turvy and things, it's not even just like, I mean, if you look at it just like, bare bones plot structure i mean it's pretty typical but in terms of what happens and the content of what happens mm-hmm. it's very unpredictable and i think that too just creating this absolutely strange world really kind of nailed that like just kind of drove that home and on top of that playing with the the whole tropes of the you know the classic horror of like the 1940s or 1950s mm-hmm. like, and turning that on its head too right there is so much influence in the film from the 50s 40s 50s which is you know the epitome of you know, nuclear family values and abstinence and all of these different ideals that were drilled into young people. And it's just, I don't know, it's just really, when you think about it, even though it's campy when and, you know, it wasn't a huge budget film or anything like that, it's just like, wow. The idea of this happening at the time that it did is so revolutionary. And the fact that it even turns the horror, the, you know, the classic horror trope genre into something that the characters at the end don't want to really escape. Yeah, the, I mean, at the end they do, but by the end they like they love Frankenfurter and they like you know are quite literally converted mm-hmm. to his ways um yeah i don't know and it's not a bad thing like no. it's not even conveyed as a like oh no now they've been you know corrupted it's it's almost like and that's okay you know yeah, the real villain is, like, revealed. Mm-hmm. 
the yeah the real villain wants to bring an end to it all yeah. to take it back to take back this way of life so it's really i don't know it just left this idea in the viewer's mind that it's like this isn't as evil as you think it is and honestly it's liberating yeah to live this way and to think this way and to be fluid with your self-expression and you can enjoy it and actually it's fun and it's because it's you it's you being genuine to yourself yeah i mean i think i mean just to touch on like one of my favorite parts of the film of that film particularly i just i love the use of repetition in that film I think it's done really well. I mean, it's very, as you said, Paige, very campy and very well done. But one of my favorite things is an editing gag about three quarters of the way through the film where this char- this new character, is re- Dr. Scott, is introduced. He literally bursts through a wall. And, you know, he knows Brad and Janet because they were his students. And they're all surprised that everyone, everyone converges and everyone is surprised and things are revealed (laughs) just the part where it's like dr scott janet (laughs) and like it cuts it cuts to all of these like medium close-ups to all of the characters like calling each other out and it happens like three times in a row (laughs) yeah it's so good that's yeah excellent and and that's another thing it's like you can't you can't predict what's going to happen and you can't predict what imagery is going to happen or like how many times things are going to repeat or just kind of different things that just keep catching you off guard but in not in an unsettling way a way that it's enjoyable and it it just kind of makes you like it just kind of tips your brain sideways a little bit and that's rare, I think, in a film because it's so easy for it just to be unsettling and unnerving, which in some points of the film you do feel. But I think more often, even in some of the more disturbing parts, you just kind of get this, huh, yeah, okay. And it's just like you kind of chuckle a little bit or laugh out loud. And you're just kind of enjoying yourself. Mm-hmm. I I still don't know exactly how they struck that balance, but it's it's masterful. It really is, and that's why it continues to be a classic and a film that people keep coming back to. Yeah, I think what's interesting. I feel like that immediately had, you know, a cult classic following pretty instantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But something like Labyrinth, I know this because our dad worked at like a, I don't know what you would call it exactly, but like a merchandising, like graphics studio for like, yeah, different, different merchandise, like cups, plates, like that kind of thing that it was just like a design studio. Anyway, that when Labyrinth came out, it flopped. They pumped out a lot of stuff about it. Like there's a lot of merchandise for it, but it didn't 
make a lot of money at all. Yeah, which is was a shock to everyone considering David Bowie was in one of the starring roles and you know, it was it was a collaboration between George Lucas and the Henson Company and you know there was just so much expectation for it to be absolutely just blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't. But now it's like, you know, a lot of people know about it and love it. And how could you not? Because, I mean, debatably, uh, okay, story-wise, I can't say I'm that into it. No. Like, it's as, a pretty basic story. As a narrative, it's not that interesting. But the the sheer craftsmanship... And the world building. And the world building is phenomenal. I mean, you... and and Well, unless you're talking about the recent Netflix limited series remake of The Dark Crystal. You don't get that level of handcraftsmanship that no. you see in this film. But again, the... Re- the... The series of the dark crystal is owned by the Henson company again so it's like well duh of course it's going to be puppetry of course it's going to be a lot of beautiful intricate unbelievable puppetry and you know built sets Mm -hmm. um but it's just awe-inspiring the level of nuance and just I mean not I'm and I'm not saying that CGI work isn't as intricate and isn't as difficult no. I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to say that but you just to see people create like the mechanics of these puppets and just how much I mean that alone mm-hmm. not even you know not even the the finishing painting and texture and but the, just the base work of the puppets um, and how their faces move yeah and... it's just unbelievable because they really do like you think about I'm, I'm forgetting the character now the big kind of orangutan L- Ludo you think about the the Ludo costume puppet and that's that character is like a living, breathing character. Mm-hmm. You like, I mean, again, no, no offense to at all to the Muppets or Sesame Street, but but I mean, like you know, they're they're very cartoonish looking. Like you mm-hmm. know, they're puppets, but these creatures in Labyrinth and also in The Dark Crystal are just almost just very 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 nearly like there are times that I catch myself watching these films and I'm like that's a real creature Mm -hmm. functioning right there and I mean you think about the craftsmanship of that and then the performance then the performance of the person operating that puppet or, or multiple people yeah or multiple people operating that puppet or the person inside the costume and what they're doing and there are just so many layers of talent and just 
focus, attention, that it's, yeah, it's rare now. Yeah, it really is. We also fairly recently finally watched The Big Lebowski, which I know is a lot of people's, like, go-to. It's a sin that I haven't seen it, because I do love Coen Brothers, oh, many, many Coen Brothers films, and I've seen Yeah, it. my favorite film is a Coen Brothers film, so... <laughs> I was like, well, it's about time. Yeah, but I... <laughs> the thing about that is I'm really glad that I lived really close to L.A. before watching that movie. Because, I mean, it's still, it's still great if you've never been to Southern California, but if you have, or if you've lived in Southern California, it's like, oh my god, they just nailed the feeling Mm -hmm. of being in Southern California. The mood, the attitude, the aesthetic, like, everything. Everything about it. And there's something, I mean, in this... I, I think The Big Lebowski is a really good example of it. But there's something about particularly Cohen, the Coen Brothers films that these characters are presented in such a way. They're always awful characters. Just like terrible, terrible people. people. And yet mm-hmm. you cannot hate them. You just are like, oh, well, that's just how he is, you know? Mm-hmm. He just kind of ends up doing that or... Oh, that happened to him. And so he's just, you know, he's just doing his thing. Or whatever the case is. But, yeah, there's such a a satisfying dryness that I think really is what enhances the humor mm-hmm. in, in Coen Brothers films. And specifically in The Big Lebowski. Because I don't think it would have... I don't know if it would have been a cult classic if it were just like absolutely bonkers. If it were if it were made in the style of Rocky Horror, you know, if it were made in a super campy way. It's like you can and the thing is too about the Coen Brothers films is that it can be the most outlandish situation, but you believe it could happen. Mm-hmm. You still believe that you could walk outside and see that very thing happening. Yeah, it's everything is put so plainly mm-hmm. that it's like, okay. Yeah, it's just like, oh, it's just another day. And yet, you know, people are being gunned down in a bowling alley parking lot. Like Yeah. It's, it's just like But yeah, you just you just believe it. You just yeah, absolutely believe these people exist. And that you've met them, probably. Or that you've mm-hmm. seen them in the supermarket. Like, it's... Yeah. I think that is... That is... Some of the genius of their films. And I mean, I think going back to how L.A. it is... The the part where you're introduced to the artist... The... the He's not... Is he the mayor of Pasadena? Yes, I believe so. His daughter, who's the the artist and you're introduced to her and she's flying over her studio completely naked and throwing paint on a canvas. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that, <laughs> yep. that is the LA art scene. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you just, you won't, you wouldn't get it unless you've been there. Like, that's, yeah. It's just, it's yeah. like you can, you can imagine it, but it's like once you've been there, it's like, yeah, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> this is definitely happening every other night, you know, in West LA. Like, you know, it's, it's just, it's just how it is. I do think, I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm just like bowing down to the Coen brothers here. I'm just like, you know, going all going all in, just lauding them. But I I think too that they do such a good job of capturing the essence of place because you see that also in Inside William Davis, and you see that. I mean, I can't I I I can say that because I've been in Greenwich Village, but I feel like. From what I can tell, they do the same thing in Fargo. And yeah. They do the same thing in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That they just distill the feeling and the atmosphere of wherever the film is set and just bring it to life in a way that you feel it. Like, you feel like you're in that part of the country. Yeah. And that is masterful yeah thank you for joining us for episode 84 of riff and letting us geek out about films we love talking about films as you could probably tell and analyzing films so thank you for indulging us and listening as always you can find us on social media you can follow page on instagram at unbloom studio you can follow me also on Instagram at existentialyikes. You can follow the podcast also on Instagram at Riff Off the Cuff and on Facebook at Riff Off the Cuff Conversations. You can listen to this podcast pretty much on any platform that you like because we use Anchor and we post every Sunday. So we will catch you next time. <laughs>